The following episode of FOFOP is classified MA. It contains some coarse language, some nudity, drug references, a sex scene, time travel, terrible Batman impersonations, a Charlie Clausen pronounced Clausen shaped hole, and mild coarse language. FOFOP advises that the program is not suitable for persons under the age of 15, and minors must be accompanied by an adult guardian or priest. This is John Deke speaking. I'm Will Anderson, and uh, joining me, first-time guest Charlie Clawson. Uh, very excited to have him on the show, though. Somebody that uh, I've been a fan of for a, a long while, and to be honest, we've had kind of paths that have like you know threatened to cross properly, and then <laughs> yeah. finally actually properly cross when we did some shows together in Burlington, Vermont. Um, well, about a week ago when we're recording this, but um, a few weeks ago when you're hearing this, uh, please welcome uh, Chris Garcia. How are you, mate? Good. Thanks for having me. Well, oh no, it's nice. To, now Vermont was nice, right? Burlington, that was. We were in Burlington in um, the middle of uh, America going through the, the race riots in Charlottesville. Yeah. And you could not have been in a place that felt less connected to what was happening and what you were seeing on the news, right? Oh, yeah. It was, it's like a progressive utopia where it's like just just the good whites playing frisbee and making muffins. <laughs> you know, it's just like uh, just a lot of Paul Simon fans and just mellow older I, I, what Bernie I loved types. is it was it was the first place where I was like I, I now I get the idea of a wall you've just got to put a wall around Burlington <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. secret you can bounce your frisbees up against it you never <laughs> yeah. lose one you know you can open some sort of pop-up food trucks and stuff around the wall it'll be like a farmer's market vibe I yeah. like it yeah it's like Portlandia for uh hacky sacks or something <laughs> like it's like yeah, I do. I do like the idea of these pockets of America because this is something to people who are outside America. They, they probably have some awareness of certainly through like Portlandia and shows like that, yeah. that there are these kind of pockets. But when you're here and you stumble into them, whether they be Madison or, you know, you're in uh, um, Austin or somewhere like this, you know, these certain places. And my, the thing that they all have, which I love the most, which I think maybe started in Portland, but maybe I'm wrong even on that is that, you know, the, the very famous Keep Portland Weird, you know, slogan. Oh, yeah. I've noticed that each of those weird towns has their own version of keep, insert name here, weird merchandise. Yeah. And I'm like, I get the vibe. Yeah. I get you saying, let's keep us as individuals. Yeah. But you are just co-opting the individualism of another town for your individualism. Yeah. It's like uh, Keep Portland Weird or Austin Weird or Berkeley is like Berserkly. Oh, <laughs> really? Like, yeah. It's like their take on is like, <laughs> we're crazy. And it's like, it, are you really that crazy if you have to like brand yourself that, you know? <laughs> I mean, that is like the kid who comes to school um, from another school and uh, comes with his own nickname. Oh, yeah. It's like, yeah. At my old school, they call me Berserkly. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. guys? Who loves the party? Berserkly. <laughs> I'm the berserkinator guy. Okay, Carl. (laughs) (laughs) We know your name's Carl, man. You don't have to pretend. (laughs) 
<laughs> did you have a nickname at school? Like, uh, did you grow up nicknamed? My sister called me Pudge when I was a kid. Okay. Was so she an older sister? Older sister, yep. and okay. I was kind of a fat kid. Right. So that was that. My dad had interesting nicknames for me. He would call me Rasputin, which means Rasputin. Okay. <laughs> it's just Rasputin in Spanish. And he'd call me Carelata, uh, which is can face. Like, weird. Cubans can have a weird. Face. Weird, inexplicable <laughs> slang. Carelata is uh, can face, kamahang, swindler. Like he just like yeah, he, he knew uh, he was like there's something. This kid is something a little weasel. He's like gave me these weaselly nicknames. He's a can face Rasputin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, is. yeah. It's like thanks, thanks, dad. <laughs> uh, nothing in school. Uh, no, yeah, just uh, Pudge. And all these names that my dad would call me. Tell yeah. me about where uh, you went to school. Where did you go to like uh, sort of what we would call primary school? Is that what you call it here? What do you call like, uh, what do you call junior school? Like whatever, elementary uh, school. Is yeah, that I went called? to a um, private, like a small private uh, Catholic school here in Los Angeles. I grew up kind of in a rough part of town called Inglewood. Uh-huh. And... Um, my parents. I think people. I think even people from everywhere else. Oh, they all know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Inglewood's one of those ones that's cut through. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I think you know, there's a couple of places. You like Compton? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, that's a place you get straight out of. <laughs> yeah, it's not yeah, a place yeah, you yeah. get straight back yeah. into. Inglewood In- up to no good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're just having fun with city names today. Um, yeah. So I grew up in Inglewood, and I. Um, the L.A. public schools are tough, and I went to the same kindergarten, actually, before private school. Same kindergarten as Steve Martin. Oh, uh, really? It's called Oak Street, and it's just like a little um, school, and it was already rough. Like, and how uh, – do they play on the idea that Steve Martin went to kindergarten there? Do they, like, have some sort of great origin story, like they're the bats that made Batman into Batman <laughs> yeah, no. sort of thing? No. Okay. There's nothing. I didn't learn that until I read his not a uh, lot of biography. Ti- not a lot of tiny banjos laying around and stuff <laughs> yeah, like no, that. No. No. Come on. We want another one. <laughs> yeah. We need one more. Come no on. No little arrows through the yeah. head or nothing. White. You have to wear a white suit. White suit. Like, <laughs> yeah, all the like, kids are in white suits. Yeah. And they're just like, one more. Yeah. Um, no, I just learned that from reading his book. And I was like, oh, that's cool. But even that was in kindergarten, it was tough. And uh, uh, I just got like bullied and put like some people put gum in my hair. <laughs> and like it was like, and my dad was not, my parents came to America from Cuba and like education was like everything. So they lied about where we live so I can go to school in a better place in Westchester right next to LAX, which is a city right next to Inglewood. It's a little better. And this is a small private school. It was cheap. Um, but it Here's was like what, an old... Uh, firstly, yeah. I'm just going to double back to gum in the hair because I, as an adult, uh, was at a party once. Yeah. Uh, and I had been invited to this party, but I had only been invited by one of the people, so I didn't know a lot of the other people. And at the party, one of the other people came up to me as an adult and put gum in my hair and <laughs> it's so humiliating like i mean like even as a child yeah. y- humiliating but even as like as an adult like a human being put gum in my hair why and i just uh, like i honestly for a week yeah. had like a crisis of confidence i was saying to my friends i was like am i the sort of person you put gum in their hair like <laughs> yeah. i don't I don't feel like I've asked for that. I don't yeah. feel like I deserve that. Yeah, that's like textbook bullying. Right. That's like a big, that's like someone standing behind you and someone pushing you over. And, well, or whatever, but the yeah. other thing is, like at whatever age I was, 25, I felt like I was beyond being bullied in that way. Yeah. And then you were just realizing that's all it takes. One stick of gum yeah. and It'll... one determined finger because you don't see it coming. <laughs> yeah. you're, not, you're not on like 
You know that John Malkovich movie where like he it tries to assassinate the president and the whole idea is that anyone can assassinate the president as long as you're willing to trade your life for the president's life, yeah. right? Well, anyone can put gum in your hair at any stage. Because <laughs> yeah. people are not on constant gum. Like you just, people aren't ready for it. Yeah, they're not watching out for it. Yeah, at any stage, <laughs> if you want to gum someone in the hair, you can do that. Yeah. That's so cruel. Right. Oh, it just makes you feel so like a mean, piece of so shit. So mean, so bad. Again. Yeah. All right. So you're at school. Are you good at school? What do you like at school? N- no, What's I'm your... not good. Like, it was a tough, you know, my parents, I didn't grow up really speaking a lot of English. And so going to school was tough because I just spoke Spanish. It's my first language with my parents. And I, sp- I learned a little from my older sister who was, she came to America and she was like 10 or something like I that. I reckon you could just move a little closer to oh, that yeah. microphone. She, just um, she, uh, she was a little older, but she was like in junior high. When I was born, and so my English was not good, and so I remember my sister teases me about this, but from transferring from this kindergarten to try to get into first grade in this other Catholic school, like, I couldn't skip. I couldn't do, like, basic things, and my English was not good. I I couldn't make the number two, and so she spent, like, the whole summer before first grade because they weren't going to let me in. And oh, finally. so she like trains you up, yeah, like Rocky tra- montage style, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like because you're going from skipping, like yeah. very Rocky, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. then into some other. Th- Here's the things you're gonna need to yeah. know, need to know. Yeah. yeah, I'm gonna teach you a little English. Yeah, you gotta get this skipping down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no excuse for this one. Yeah, there's no language barrier in skipping. Yeah. It is literally just your uncoordination. Yeah, you've got to know this. And one. my dad would get so frustrated with me because yeah. my dad's a smart, athletic like mechanically inclined person he's like a numbers guy he's like was a machinist and engineering and stuff like that and uh, he would get so frustrated my sister he's like i can't fucking do you teach him (laughs) and i just she taught me how to do that and so i a couple years later i was thinking about this the other day when i was in third grade i was eight my sister was 20 she got married and she um moved out of the house and so we shared a room and it was my first time having a room by myself and I was very scared and I hated it and I just wanted my sister to come back and my parents, they worked uh, blue collar jobs like a graveyard shift and swing shift. So they weren't always home all the time after school and stuff like that. So I purposely became worse at school thinking that that would make my sister come back and help me. And so I did this thing in third grade where I pretended to forget the number two again like how to do it. So my hoping that my sister would have to come back and teach me how to do the number two. And not only did I do that, I suddenly inexplicably forgot how to do the number two. This is like little kid thinking like logic. And, uh, I mean, again, also not the the plan that really requires her coming back for much time. (laughs) If you you think it through, it's like, okay, just make the loop uh, and you're done. Just do it the other way. (laughs) Okay. I'm going back to my husband. This is the coping strategies of a third grader, you know? And, but then I was like, I also did this thing where I only read the right side of a book. I I would not read the left side. And if it had the number two on it, I wouldn't read it. And so instead of just not doing work, I just made school harder. (laughs) Like I just like made it worse for myself. And then, uh, I mean, that is... It's one of those things where you'd still probably get the gist of things yeah. without the whole... <laughs> yeah. You're like, well, I kind of get how this worked. I didn't really commit, yeah. I, yeah. Know, I know Lincoln's dead. <laughs> what happened? It seemed to happen really quickly. Because last page I read, he was just going to the theatre. Yeah. He's dead now? What happened? There's gaps in here. <laughs> There's serious gaps in this information. Um, 
And so my dad took me to this learning clinic and uh, it was like not a fancy thing or anything, but the instructor there was, I remember this old guy in a lab coat, he sat me down on a Lazy Susan. Like a, you know, those yeah, spinning, like he, at a Chinese restaurant. Yeah, like a Chinese yeah. where you put the soy sauce. Right. And he would spin me around and then stop me and then show me flashcards and make me like identify what was on the cards, you know? So I'd be like, uh, you know, a uh, pterodactyl or whatever. And he would try to. And, he, he, and in this situation, yeah. are you then just like, because now that it's gone to this, you know yeah. that you've kind of made it up, right? Yeah. But now you're in therapy you're getting some treatment for this like problem that people are trying to diagnose or see what you have are you now treating this treatment seriously are you trying to answer the questions and stuff or are you still trying to stick to your i need to have some sort of like plan of like twos and weird stories i'm sticking to being bad at school okay and not being great at this but also confused when i'm like i'm in deep right now and now my dad's taking me to this thing and it just wasn't happening fast enough. I mean, also the lazy Susan method. I mean, I've not heard of that catching on. Maybe I'm wrong. It's not an area where I, but I feel like this was one guy trying to get a thing going. <laughs> yeah. you know I mean? Like this was going to be his book. This was going to be yeah. his version of the secret or whatever. Yeah, he was going to be the him. next Dr. Phil, all based on this like lazy Susan method. Maybe if I spin him around backwards, right. it'll undo. It's like that, <laughs> like the car in Ferris Bueller's day off. He's yeah. like, I'm going to put this on blocks and in reverse. Yeah. Or like, I don't know, Superman when he spins oh, yeah, the earth. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he just seen Superman. Yeah. He's like, I've got an idea. I reckon I can wind back memories. Yeah. All I need is a lazy Susan <laughs> yeah. and a toddler <laughs> at this stage. <laughs> we'll need a bigger lazy Susan if we're going to do it with adults. Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't, it didn't work fast. My dad, it didn't work fast enough for my dad. My dad was like frustrated and he made a right. lazy Susan for the house. Oh, at home. At home. I love it. And I remember I, mean, I was... What so- a, this, this already <laughs> is just such a fucking brilliant story because I... This lazy Susan technology is clearly just some bogus fucking, you know, you might as well be selling fucking homeopathy or something. You <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. Like, oh, you know, take one drop in like eight gallons of water. That'll fix your broken <laughs> yeah, yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah, That's yeah. essentially what it is. But yeah. your dad's gone, well, that's the bit. Clearly the lazy Susan yeah. rather than the picture cards or the therapy or the whatever. <laughs> yeah. It's the lazy Susan. Yeah. So if we get it, get one at home, yeah. he can be on it twice as much. <laughs> yeah. He's going to improve. Yeah. And he, uh, I remember we did it in the carpet and I was a little fat kid. So it dug into the carpet and couldn't spin. And then him just like, I can't believe this. And then going into the garage and he would spin me in the garage like door closed like because our garage is right on the street and it's like if, i don't know if he was like this is weird well <laughs> i mean at least he had the forbearance of thought yeah the foresight i guess is what i'm trying to say uh to know that it would look weird yeah because if you saw the cuban neighbors you know with the garage door open spinning their kid on some sort of lazy susan <laughs> in the garage yeah. i feel like you would culturally assign that to Cuban people. Yeah. You know? That's uh, the sort of thing that white people do. It's like a, they see one family do that. They go, you know what the Cuban you know what I don't like about the Cubans? Yeah. They move into your neighborhood and suddenly they're spinning kids yeah. on lazy Susans yeah. in their garages. It's a stereotype all yeah. of a sudden they all, all do of a sudden, it. They all yeah. do it. I don't know. But people are making jokes and bad jokes about it in stand up clubs. Where are my Cubans at? <laughs> what about your lazy Susans, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, spinning you around. You guys get it? Spinning? Made for, yeah. <laughs> It was like, yeah, it is. Well, it is like it was like a Wontanimo situation, I guess, where he detained me, tried to get me to. 
like fuss up on the number two. <laughs> well, that's like, that's why they had to send people to Guantanamo because they had the best lazy Susan <laughs> yeah, technology yeah. going around. A lot of already pre-installed. Yeah. So these people will fess up. They yeah. will give up. <laughs> The location of the number two. Yeah, he hasn't given us anything yet, but yeah. have we considered spinning him backwards on a giant laser <laughs> yeah, season yeah. and then asking him? Yeah, I think that'll get it. That'll tell us. Okay, so you go to. So what happens eventually? Do you eventually, eventually I just go back to yeah. being okay, okay at school? And then I. So this guy probably thinks he's had a great result. Uh, like if you think about it. Yeah. Like I mean, you've eventually. Yeah. Were, you know, been able to recognize the number two and read the other pages. Yeah. So he's probably sitting back in his office going, <laughs> Yeah, well, oh, wow. Uh, look ready. at that. I'm going to take Woo. this to Shark Tank right now. Go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready to pitch this. I got proof of concept, baby. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, who's in? <laughs> I like the idea that when he goes on Shark Tank, you know, they obviously do the video footage about the, like, what's going on, but he brings you out as like the evidence of yeah. like, the boy that he's cured. There <laughs> like, he is. Behold. Punch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. But I was, I was trouble in school. I was just not, I couldn't, I had trouble focusing okay. and all that stuff. And what were you interested in? Like, if you're not interested in school at that age, what what were you, what were you, what was your passion going into? I liked performing. Like, I remember we had to do a there's a forensics class, and uh, it was like speech class, and I loved it. And we had to give a speech from the point of view of a first or uh, Old Testament prophet. Oh, and so I picked Habakkuk, which I didn't know anything about. But like, my parents aren't religious they're just like this is a better school than right. the public school you know like i remember when i i had to get baptized to go to this catholic school yeah. and um my parents took me to get baptized and i needed a godparents and i don't have godparents so they used my sister and our mechanic was like they just brought him and this is like my dad's friend and fail ugly guy and my sister were just like lying i want to know god <laughs> I want to know if, yeah, like, say, for example, yeah. it's not what I believe, but, yeah. you know, it's what some people believe. Yeah. Say, for example, it turns out that that version of the truth is actually 100% the truth. So you need to be baptized to get into heaven, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I want to know how they feel about people like you. <laughs> yeah. Like, when they're looking down the list of going, well, we've let it. Uh, firstly, I reckon the ones who got baptized on purpose, they're your group one boarding lane. Yeah. I feel like you guys are at least zone five. <laughs> you, you, might, you might not get to get your luggage on board. All the good seats are taken by the time yeah. you guys you get on board. Extra. All right, all the technical ones. <laughs> <laughs> who got baptized for school zone districts. <laughs> zone five. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely not zone one. Definitely yeah. very... Born again, zone three. Sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I mean, you got it right the second time around, but yeah. zone three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Okay, so uh, you, you're passionate about performing uh, and, and oh, kind yeah. of doing these speeches. Um, so this speech that you do from the point of view of this prophet, oh, yeah. tell me about that. I um, got really into it. I had a um, Lebanese friend that lived on the corner named Marwan, and his parents had like the traditional garb. Uh -huh. uh, and so I went and I borrowed the robe, and I put it on my head, and I like... I, they were like, okay, Chris. And I went into the hallway and I changed into this outfit 
and I came out and it was like my part of it was like my mom's robe and then this robe and the thing on my head and I came out and I was like I am Habakkuk and I like spread my arms like it's show like fucking Beetlejuice like right. showtime <laughs> and just like went in and the kids were laughing and I remember really liking it and my uh, the nun that was the teacher this woman Irish old Irish lady named uh, Sister Perpetua <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hardcore. She was like born for it uh, with a name like that. And she uh, she got really upset and she put my head on the like lectern or whatever. And she took this. There's a vase on there. And she took the flowers of the vase and gently like tapped me on the back of the head with this vase as like a weird warning or a weird like thing, like a lesson that she was teaching. Like me. a devil be gone sort of moment. Yeah. And she like hit me like on the head and she was like. And then she talked to my parents about it. Like, I got in trouble, but it's what I really liked. Like, but also, I, was like, I feel like, you know, you were just, I mean, A, yeah. don't, like, make kids, like, that's like a setting in drawing class, draw a picture of the Prophet Muhammad, yeah. and then complaining that people draw pictures of the Prophet Muhammad, yeah. right? Like, so they've set this up. You, yeah. That's entrapment. Yeah. You've just committed to the part. Yeah. And, and you're in trouble. I know it's crazy because if you think about it, it's like, oh, this kid's ex- at right. least he got excited about this cool. This kid's bad at school, can't make the number two. He's kind of a problem. He gets into something for the. He commits right. to something. He likes something. He, he likes something, and he's into it. And he's and it has to do with re- the Bible. Right. That's a win, you know. Surely that's a gateway moment. Yeah. yeah. Encouraged in the right way, you it, wouldn't be doing stand up right now. You'd be like one of the heads of the Catholic Church. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, she thought it was sacrilegious and. Uh, that was yeah, mm. not good. But then I like I like sports. I liked, yeah. But what sort of sports did you like? What were you were you like playing or just consuming? Um, both. Like okay. I really so like baseball. What, yeah, baseball. So that's that's your kind of Cuban go to sport, right? Yeah. Well, football too, right? Do they play football? Or? Yeah, they yeah. play football not as much. Yeah, but base, um, is, so baseball would in Cuba is that the number one? That's like, a, is that what you come with the? I guess what I'm asking is. What stereotype do you come with? So if you walk to it, like, you know, say you're a Cuban yeah. and you walk out to like a, a baseball game, yeah. do people go, oh, well, he should be able to play baseball. He's yeah, Cuban. Yeah. Is there a bit of that? Yeah, it's okay. totally that. Yeah. It's like maybe a Russian with chess or something right. like that. <laughs> it's something yeah. like, okay, these, yeah. they know. And that's what it is with, and then boxing a little bit, but that's not a real common sport. But baseball is the real sport. Where like, So I grew up playing that like very seriously. And soccer and whatever. My dad was like, okay, he's into, he'll be into something. Let's get him into something. Okay, and so, that's good parenting though, yeah. right? Like, I mean, because that's kind of the only approach you can have is to say, all you hope for someone is they find some sort of passion. Yeah. And hopefully maybe some sort of productive passion. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So find it. Let them find it. Yeah. Let, let them try things. Yeah. And I think my dad liked that because it was a little probably more masculine, more traditional right. Cuban than me being this kid that was a spaz that would perform and stuff. Yeah. And to him being an old school guy, I love that. But his uh, training methods were very untraditional. Like he was like, all right, Chris loves soccer. I played football and I was a goalie. And to improve me, my dad would take me to the park, like a bad park in our bad neighborhood and have me eight years old, play goalie, be the keeper for like drunk adult <laughs> Latino out of work men. Like these guys are just like in their forties. And my dad's like, okay, hold on. We're going to have a, is it okay if my son plays goalie for you guys? And then he would stick me and I would stand between these two trash barrels, 
like steel barrels that they just put on like a baseball field and a diamond on the dirt. And I was just a little boy that would just oh like take these shots from adult. And he was like, don't take it easy on him. Play all the way. <laughs> <laughs> and he was just like shooting rockets at me. Same with baseball. He put me in like the 80 miles an hour, like batting cage. And just to like, uh, yeah, just to get me oh, you know, up man. to speed. Because I, I was not athletically gifted or This anything. doesn't feel, that, that feels like in the zone of the guy who built his own Lazy Susan at home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that, that does not surprise me as a pattern of behavior. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, when, when did baseball stop being a thing that you were doing in your life? Like was there a certain age that you kind of stopped playing or do you still even have a hit around sometimes now? What's your sort of vibe as an adult? What I you, still play. Yeah. Like I... Uh, a couple of years ago, I played like in a softball league, and in college, I played in a softball league. But I played until my se- my last year of high school, and uh, you know, my coach wanted me to lift weights and stuff, and I was like, I'm not gonna lift weights. I'm like, I'm out of here. <laughs> like, it's just not my thing. And then I just—it's so interesting. The idea of yeah. lifting weights yeah. as a high school kid for people who are of our generations is like such a foreign idea. It's, it sounds crazy, but now yeah. these kids. Like you see 15 year olds and stuff with like eight packs and stuff because they're they're going to the gym all the time. Yeah. They're massively ripped. I'm like, I don't know if that's what, how did we do that? I don't think as a society that is, that's better. Right. I don't think It doesn't feel like that's an improvement in our society that 15 year old boys (laughs) feel like they have to have eight packs and shit. Right. Testosterone or whatever. Yeah. It's not, it wasn't my thing. And so I just was like, I'm out of here. Yeah. And it was. So fine. by that stage, you know, you're starting to think about what you might do with your life, I imagine, yeah. right? Yeah. So where are you? Uh, where are you living at this time? Like, what, yeah, what are you thinking about, you know, your future's going to be? What, you, what, what, yeah, what's the sort of vibe of you as you're kind of in, like finishing up high school? I, I've always wanted to be a comedian since I was like a little boy. Oh, so, so where did that start? I think that started, my parents are funny, and then we would, my parents had like over 40 albums of this Cuban comedian, stand-up comedian named Alvarez Guedes, who's like the Cuban-American Richard Pryor or something. Right. And so we would listen to him on car trips, or my mom just reminded me that like on New Year's Eve, we would wait for midnight, and we'd just listen to his albums like all the way through, and we'd just listen to stand-up and like crack up, and it was like... And he's like half of them you learn when you're older, they're like street jokes. Right. But it was straight up live stand up recordings. And I remember like loving them. And is he still alive, this guy, or is he a. He's uh, he passed away now. a couple of years yeah. ago. But and was he still, a, like, is he a beloved, like, is he a beloved, in the same way as a Richard Pryor or whoever he is? Is, yeah. is there a similar sort of reverence for him as a comedian? Yeah. He's, I mean, he's not like, you know how Richard Pryor's like, the, he revealed, he changed right. everything. Alvarez Guedes did not do that, but he's the voice of certain Cuban-Americans that arrived here in the 60s or 70s all the way to the present. It's right. like okay. my parents' generation. He was the guy. And his jokes, just like – and it was a, jokes about immigrating to the United States and taking the um, uh, citizenship test. And he, sometimes he would speak English, and he'd be, they'd ask him, like, who is the president of the United States? And then he go Rockefeller Center. <laughs> like he would just like <laughs> just answer stupid things, but it was like about how hard the test was and stuff, and it was like very relatable. Yeah. 
and really funny. Okay, nice. Um, and he so was, that, he had like a Russell Peters style yeah. audience, like in the community, who were like, "We get exactly what you're talking about." Yeah, yeah totally. This is our experience. Your experience is our experience. Yeah, yeah, nice. And so that was cool. And then I loved Steve Martin. Um, when I was a little kid and then because of the primary school connection, because no. <laughs> yeah, of, of the school just connection, you. You just, it was something. Yeah. But I remember thinking he was like seeing wild and crazy guy, um, and loving that. And then watching, um, Eddie Murphy, like raw and delirious when you're a kid and you're not, don't know. It's like half really fucked up now, like when you look back on it, but he's well, the, so funny. The like, thing, the thing uh, we, this is actually a topic that comes up a bit on this podcast because yeah. so many people have, particularly comedians yeah. uh, have that connection to that era of Eddie Murphy as yeah. being the first time you saw, you were like, wow, this is like a young person, yeah. like in front of all these people dressed like this, you know, yeah. telling these jokes. And as a teenager, they were the sort of jokes that as a teenager yeah. you thought were, the most hilarious things you've ever heard in your life. Yeah. Uh, fair to say, a lot of it has not dated well. <laughs> yeah, I, don't know, yeah. I don't know how on the nose some of it was at the time because I was too young to actually yeah. know. Like maybe some of the the gay stereotypes and stuff, even at the time there were people going, oh, <laughs> Yeah, cool? yeah. But, really? A siren? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Woo-woo, like, come on. But I remember kids, yeah, qu- quoting that, like, uh, yeah, that ice cream song and stuff like that. People knew these bits off by heart yeah also as a comedian the idea that you know what you made when you were 19 20 21 yeah is so big that forever it's going to be judged in that way like if you had a tape of me at 19 20 21 like 20 years ago some of the things that i said on stage while i was trying to work out what it is that i you know wanted to say on stage fuck that some of that stuff would not hold up well either yeah for sure yeah the things that particularly as a young comedian when you like go through that well i don't know if you did but i went through that period where uh you know you you want to be cool and edgy and yeah. like you know and you so you try to be transgressive and talk about things that are and particularly if you're like me who like he's not cool and edgy you know i'm a dairy farmer's son from a fucking <laughs> dairy farm and you know whatever i've turned into it's not become cool or edgy either so yeah. those jokes never f- sat quite properly in my mouth and it means that you don't always get them right um so tell me, so you wanted to be a comedian. Yeah. Where do you well, start? Well, okay. I was going to say that's yes. interesting about, but that's, you start with that hard edge. We're like, well, I'm yeah. out of control. Cause, and part of it is like, oh, you're kind of parroting uh, Eddie Murphy. Right. Like the first things you saw stand that you really liked. And it's like, you kind of, do go, you have to go through that phase where I look back and think someone shared a tape with me of like the first year, like my first 15 minutes. And I was like, oh, this is like. Some of this is wrong and messed up, but I just like had to put it out there. I'm like, ooh, I'm a you know out of control stand up, and it's like it wasn't my real voice, and I was very cocky, but I was just like, that's how you do stand up, maybe. Right. You just have to come out. Well, I, I mean, I the stuff that I look back on yeah. the least fondly, I think, is the, all the stuff that well, stuff that I presented as if I it was the most you know. Uh, amazing idea in the world and i was the only person who'd ever had that thought but my naivety looking back of going oh that was literally the angle that everybody yeah yeah like i mean here's a classic example not that i had a huge bit about this but i just think it's such an obvious example of the style of things that i mean like having some great bit about the 72 virgins that like you know terrorists (laughs) you know what i mean like something that you're like presenting as if you're like look hey i finally Got to the heart yeah. of comedically yeah. what's going on here, yeah. not realizing that like a thousand yeah. other people are going, oh yeah, that's well, the funny yeah. bit of yeah. that. Rollerblades are gay, guys. 
Have you ever heard anyone say that? It's like, oh gosh. <laughs> you know, it's so embarrassing. Um, I mean, getting angry at, that's the other thing. I Getting angry at stuff that I like, what, you're like, why are you, why are you angry at that? That's just not a thing that you just need to be angry about. Like, no. Um, but, but of course that's also, oh no, the other thing, this is the other thing yeah. that I hate about my old work is occasionally when you think you're defending, like, you know, say you might be talking about marriage equality or something like that, but the joke itself relies on a, like a, a stereotype or a lazy stereotype. Oh, yeah. So like, you know, you kind of do that thing going, yeah, look at me. I'm on the right side of everything. You're going, a couple of those jokes aren't on the right side of everything. <laughs> yeah, 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 like, a couple of your jokes that you're saying when you're saying that you're cool with everything don't sound as cool. Yeah. I just didn't know what we we're doing yet. Right. It's hard to be and, ourselves. Well, and... the funny thing is, do you ever think about this? Because I think that's an ongoing process and because also society changes, right? Yeah. So... What can sometimes happen is that something that was okay to say, you know, even using words like, say, marriage equality rather than saying gay marriage, right? Yeah. Like, there was a time where you would say gay marriage thinking you were saying nothing wrong. Then eventually you kind of learn that language changes a bit and some words get used in different ways and blah, blah, blah. So you hopefully change. Hopefully you're not one of those people who goes, no, I should get to say yeah. gay marriage yeah. because I don't want to have to move yeah. on. This is a war on gay marriage. Right. <laughs> you know, you're like, come on, it's just... We have updated it. You know, right. we got an update and we all agree. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're the, the guy proper. who's still using your computer on like three <laughs> updates ago because you're scared of losing your iTunes songs. Yeah. Right. So um, it's one of those things where I think that there's probably things that I'm talking about now in my act yeah. that five years from now or 10 years from now or whatever, I will look back on and go, oh. Oh boy. Yeah. And that to me is the overwhelming one. The one where you go, because I don't think there is. Like, I mean, I look at my act and I go, no, 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 there's not. But chances are there is. Yeah. And it's like having kids and knowing that one of them is going to turn out to be a murderer, oh, but you yeah. don't know which one yet. Oh, like, gosh. so you just, you're looking at the, all of them just a little <laughs> suspiciously, yeah. like, which one of you guys? Yeah. Who is it? I know one of you is going to betray me, like yeah. Jesus at the Last Supper. One of you guys is staying <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah. I fucking know it. I know it oh, until I so know who true. it is. I'm treating all of you with suspicion. Yeah. That's, you know, it just happens. I think it naturally happens with progress, but you're right. right. It is scary to be like, oh man. I okay. The wrong side so, again. so tell me then, uh, how does stand up start for you? What, what age are you? Where are you when you start doing stand up? I was, I wanted to do stand up so much. I was scared to even try. Oh. So I had done, looking back, I did all these things that were like, adjacent to stand-up. Oh. I was in bands where I was the lead guy. I did slam poetry in college where I did oh. funny poems. Okay. Like I did Model United Nations, like mock debate where I was the funny debate kid in high school. Like in high school, we did debates and I would get up there and I would do jokes right. about certain, you know, relationships between countries and stuff. And I was really, I really liked it. Yeah. Like I really enjoyed it. So I like performing. In fact, I feel like that's what they need at the UN. Yeah. Like I'd like to see when they have those massive UN meetings yeah. that they start with like, they, but hey, before we get into it, guys, <laughs> yeah. uh, really funny guys just <laughs> yeah. going to come out here, lighten the mood a bit <laughs> yeah. before... He rushes in the house. Give us a wave. Yeah. Everyone's got their little translation headphones on, so getting laughs at different times. Is <laughs> yeah, they're laughing at different. But that's that's okay. Well, okay, Japan's laughing Japan's now. It. <laughs> yeah, I hear Japan. Ooh, Sri Lanka didn't yeah. care for that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but yeah, so I'd been always like per- slowly performing. And then when I was in college, I, um, I took an improv class and I really liked that. Yeah. And I got hired to, um, at the end of the, our first class, we had like a performance and in the crowd was this woman that was the head of, um, UC Berkeley had a, a science museum, a children's science center called the Lawrence Hall of Science. And, um, this lady was the head of the children's theater department. And she was like, hey, are you um, looking for a job? Like, are you done with school? And because uh, we have an opening to do, you could do improv about the human brain and anatomy for kids. And you could do uh, like science theater and write plays and stuff. And so I did that for like five years where I like, I worked on plays like um, educational science plays like uh, Ocean Powers, Marine Man of Mystery. Oh. <laughs> it was just Ocean Powers and Trash Bridges. <sighs> Uh, garbage detective, like oh, <laughs> it was like. I mean, that sounds fun. <laughs> yeah, and I would like dress up in costume and go to schools, auditorium. You know, five hundred kids, dressed like a like in trash bridges. I was a garbage right. detective, <laughs> and I had like a a puppet made out of recycled newspaper, and I'd be like, San Francisco, a big city with a big problem, garbage, <laughs> and I like, <laughs> and it was like these one or two person shows about. You know, plankton right. overfishing, like recycling, uh, brain anatomy and function. So it's like we do improv games and like that game where you like move each other's body. You know, one oh, yeah. person plays. And yep. but it would be about how your uh, cerebellum uh, helps you move, like uh, with your movements and yeah, stuff, and right. like your brainstem helps you like breathe and your heartbeat automatically and all this stuff. And so I did that, and I really liked it. And then I was in bands at the same time, and I was like, I just have to fucking do stand-up right. finally. And so I started it. I did it once, and I remember the host. I was in open mic in San Francisco, and I was really scared. And the host puts me up first, and he makes this big deal about being Mexican and Jewish. Like, it's his whole shtick. And uh, my friends and I... Used to do a joke like this. I just used the stoke that my friend would talk. We did do amongst friends, but I uh, he was kept on talking about uh, being Mexican and Jewish, and I was like, "Hey, keep it going for Miguel. I don't know. Uh, he's Mexican and Jewish. I don't know whether to hate him or hate him." <laughs> <laughs> and like the crowd, it's like a bunch of other comedians, and they're like. Wow. And they were like cracked up. And then right. I just did. That's a great opening <laughs> line. Yeah. It was like my first thing. And I was like, whoa. And right. Did some bad jokes that didn't work. And I had a couple jokes that worked. And uh, I remember really liking it. But he pulled me aside and he was like, uh, hey, if you're going to do stand up, maybe don't heckle the host. Like, And he got like really intense and up in my face. And I didn't do it for like maybe another year. Like I got so scared and intimidated because you go to an open mic. When I first started, I was like, but also everyone's the, but famous. The, but the funny like, thing about that yeah. is like, that's the stupidest, like that's a stupid piece of advice or thing for him to think. Like, yeah. You know, th- that guy, because firstly, it's a, it's a free laugh. Yeah. Like for the room, for yeah. the night. Yeah. But it's a laugh that he can play off. Like yeah. he's, he's coming back on after you. Yeah. He has the right to reply. If he wants to come back off the end and like do something off you, then yeah. that's totally fine and in his court. But secondly, like as as craft goes, yeah. like as instinct and craft goes, what a great way to start because you immediately get people's attention. Yeah. You immediately say something about who you are yeah. and where you're from, but also the joke has an element of surprise in it, yeah. which is clever for a first set. You know, yeah. I mean, like most of our jokes aren't don't have that 
you know, you set up an expectation of where it's going yeah. and then suddenly go the other way in a very surprising way. Yeah. It's a good joke. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. I was like, hey, right. I, I can get I can do this, yeah. you know? Um, but I went away and then I didn't start comedy late. I didn't start until I was like 28. Yeah. Like I was 27, 28 and I moved... Um, I, yeah, I moved to San Francisco because I lived in the Bay Area for a long time in San Francisco, but I moved to Los Angeles for a second. And then I decided, like, I can't start stand up here. Yeah. And then I uh, got a job. It's good and advice. Raised my, it's like, still money. good advice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd still say good advice to people. Yeah. If you're starting stand up, there's lots of places here and all those sort of things. But yeah. there's also most of the best comedians from all over the world are in town. So the idea that you're going to get quality stage time in front of quality audiences is yeah. just stupid. Get, yeah. get good somewhere else and then come out here and throw yourself into that nightmare. But yeah. Yeah. And that's what I did. And like the comics at the time in San Francisco, I really, because I'd, I'd start going to shows and start getting to know the comics and stuff. And the, it was great. It was and like, who, what, who, like who would be the people that people might know from that sort of zone and era in time? Yeah. Um, this was, uh, like Moshe Kasher. It was oh, yeah. like an open micer. Uh-huh. It was like Moshe, Kamal Bell, um, I started the same month as Ali Wong. Right. And we became friends like immediately. And then uh, I did see some of my friends saw Ali Wong in uh, Montreal at Just yeah. for Laughs just recently. Yeah. And uh, they said her show was hilarious, uh, which, you know, is no surprise. Yeah. But they said she's pregnant again and filming her next special with a, a, a pregnant, or she already has filmed her next special pregnant or something. I think she's doing it. I mean, I think she not purposely got pregnant. I'm not, I'm yeah, not sure. sure I don't, think, I don't like, think purposely. I don't, think, I don't yeah. think it's like the first one I was pregnant, so the second one I have to be pregnant again. But I believe yeah. the second one she's going to be pregnant again. And then it does set up the expectation of the rule of three, where for <laughs> yeah. the third one you have to be pregnant yeah, you again. you got to have twins yeah, or twins. something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I think it looks like maybe that's what's going to happen. Um, Guy Branham was a I SF comic. He's been on the podcast. Yeah. Um, Brent Weinbach, oh, yeah, Shang cool. Wang, Louis Katz. It's like a good... Yeah, it's a good time. Yeah. yeah lots was, of great comedians, but also lots of interesting, yeah. you know, diverse comedians. Yeah. It's like, because sometimes with, I'm proud of the San Francisco scene because other... Sometimes other scenes, it's like, oh, it's all this guy. It's like, oh, I'm a drunk and I've got some idea. Here's a story for you. Like right. some, but San Francisco is like, the you wouldn't know that, you know, Ali and Kamau and Moshe right. came and me out of and the same people. scene. Yeah, yeah. they so, don't. Yeah, uh, I'm just gonna pause for a second because I need a bathroom break, but then we'll come back. Yeah. Who are your comedy heroes now? That's that's what I'd like to know. Who do you like? Because I mean, when you first start out, you're influenced by certain people. But are you still influenced by people, or are there still people whose work that you sort of, you know, consume and and jump into these days? Yeah, I really like uh, Maria Bamford a lot. Oh, yeah, I think she's like so pure, and uh, I just love. She's like um, relentlessly herself, yeah. you know, and she's fragile and she's tender and she puts. She puts her, you know how her brain works. You get to know her and I think she's, and it's hilarious. I mean, hilarious. Yeah. That's the thing about Maria that I think is not undervalued because I think she's now sort of getting the attention and sort of respect and all those sort of things that she's deserved for, you know, a decade. But um, is that amongst all the fragility and mental health stuff and, you know, um, kind of offbeat way of presenting what it is that she does yeah 
she brings, if you just sat there with a stopwatch and like went, you know, like you just go, this is a 50, like, cause she, this is the great thing about her is what she does is something that works so well in a show by herself, but you can put her in a club doing a 10 minute spot out of her show or like a routine, you know, from her show. And she will bring it laugh per minute, laugh per second, as hard as anybody else does, but doing it in a way that is so different to what everybody else does. Like that capacity to put something that is completely different to everything else that's on the show in the middle of the show and it not be a ridiculous change of pace or gears or whatever for the audience is, I think, a most kind of almost underrated quality. Yeah, it's incredible. It's so different. And you're right. It's just like la- there's jokes the whole time. It's not like, oh, there's this weird thing with no jokes. It's like, no, it's she writes jokes, tight, tight. jokes. And her character <laughs> stuff is insane. Yeah. Like her capacity to like, I mean, if, if she was a different person yeah. with the skills that she had she'd be on saturday night live or something doing like characters and impressions yeah. and like whatever or in you know some, that sort of style of show yeah but the way that she paints those pictures of yeah. her life the and detail they're, and they're so true and i know some people don't care for act outs and stand up like that but those act outs are so true to her life and her real personality where like she's like she'll sit there and just mimic something you know and to see her over the last couple, I've liked her for a long time, but then you see her around working on stuff and she's like one of those comics that's like still trying, she's trying to figure out comedy and trying to get better. Like I think five years ago or something, I did a sh- maybe less, I did a show with her in San Jose. I was opening for her and she had a book, she had the comedy Bible out, which is like one of those books you read right. almost like when you start doing stand up. you're like, how do you do this? And she was like, it, you know, pages were dog-eared, things were highlighted and it was like, she's like a student of the game and she's like she's just trying to be the best comedian that she can and she works hard but i guess and again i'm this is an absolute guess this is pure speculation yeah so 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 much of what i'm skeptical about about the idea of comedy courses or the idea of like you know i've read books like that as well you know those sort of you know how do you do comedy sort of stand-up guides and the thing that i'm most skeptical about those is that often like when you look at a stand-up act or a really good joke, like John Cleese, um, uh, I was lucky enough to meet him and he gave like a great piece of advice, which I think is actually very good comedy advice, yeah. which is if you really like someone or and you like their style or you think your style, if you're going to start out, might be like that person, then one of the great things to do is find a routine that you think is you know really funny and well-written and blah, 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 and learn it off by heart and then go away and write it down. Because in writing it down, you will see how they've structured, oh, you know, yeah. the routine. So you'll go, oh, that laughs, that that one works because there's three of them in a row and it builds up to that. But that one actually works because, you know, it, there's a surprise at the end. I thought he was going to say, and I love blah blah blah, but he said, and I hate or yeah. whatever, you know. And you go, oh, they're all the various things. Sometimes I think when you read the book and then try to write jokes like that, you're doing it the wrong way around almost. Oh yeah. And I feel like with Maria, she. She's probably doing it the right way around, which is there are ways that you can use all those various techniques and ideas and whatever to strengthen something unique that you're making yourself or like, you know, go, oh, why isn't that working? What if I put an extra beat in there or something like that? Yeah. But sometimes it's a matter of which way you're constructing the idea. Yeah. Like she's basically looking at a book and it's like, oh, hey, if you want to do this, use this paintbrush and use this paintbrush. But she's... The auteur. Like, she's the painter. She knows right. what she's doing. That's a really... I love that you know, way of putting it, though. It's like her it's imagination, like, yeah. and yeah. she's like, okay, well, this to do an apple, you just yeah. do that. I but. just need to know which paintbrush to use. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I yeah. know what I want to paint. Yeah. I just need somewhere that'll tell me, 
Do I take? Is, do I need the big one or the little one? Yeah. Uh, the big one. Okay. Right. Yeah. Nice. I, do, I wouldn't have known that. Oh, yeah. the big one on the edge. Oh, yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And I thought about this when I saw you last week. I. This is not to fucking blow steam up your butt, but I was like, I need to learn how to write. Like I need to write harder and. I think rather than one of those comedy Bibles or something, something that I learned from watching your act, I was like, I think I need to revisit my critical thinking skills because the way you tear apart a topic and explore it is like so masterful, Will. (laughs) And I was like watching you, I was like, Jesus Christ, like bit after bit, you like stated a thesis, strong point of view, twist all this stuff. And uh, it was just really well done. And it made me want to go. I was like, okay, I have to go. And I went to the bookstore. And I was like, I was like, okay, which critical thinking book, a writing book? <laughs> like, I started reading that old Stephen King on writing, like his. Uh, I have read book. that though. I actually think that's a really good. If, yeah. If you're going to read anything on writing, that's yeah. as good as anything. But, the thing that I think a lot about comedy though is I think that we so often think that we need to learn new skills to do that. Whereas I think that those skills are within us. And so often we're actually thinking of like, we go, I'll go and see what someone else says that I should do so that I don't have to actually think what it is that I think about this. Yeah. You know, like, like I'm guilty of this all the time. You go, I'm going to write this bit and I'm like, how would Louis do this? Or how would Jim Jeffries, like how did Jim, I'm like, okay. Like, I mean, you're meant, they didn't do it like someone else did it. I don't, I don't look at Jim Jeffrey's gun bit and go, that's great because it reminds me of George Carlin's you know, seven words bit. Yeah. It, no, I like it because it is entirely unique and original to Jeff's way of thinking and working through this thing. Yeah. And so often, like, I mean, it's the thing I'm most guilty of is like that idea of not trusting yourself to go, I already have the yeah. skills to pick this apart and yeah. look at it from a different angle and kind of ask that extra question or yeah. whatever. And I, th- I feel like this week in doing that at the beginning of the week and being like, okay, where am I going to read? I'm going to the bookstore. I'm just going to start, you know, I need to push myself in this way. And then writing yesterday and late at night and all these things, I was like, oh, I had these things. Yeah. I just like, <laughs> but I, re- I recognized a lack. I recognized a thing. Yeah. And then I just started doing it. I was like, oh no, no, I'm Okay. I just, you just have to keep writing. You know, it's not like I, I know how to do this. I know what's funny. I know how to say it. But it, I think it was that second of being like, okay, I need to, I need to rev up. Sometimes some stuff. I, what I think you also realize is that your greatest, what you can sometimes perceive to be your greatest weaknesses end up being things that other people see as being strengths yeah. or that can be strengths to you, which is like, because for me, like my, well, I mean, I'm sure other people can make a list of my greatest weaknesses, but from my own point of view of being able to write and construct things, yeah. is I just, I just don't know what's good and what's, like if you tell me I need 10 jokes on this, yeah. that I can write you 10 jokes on it. I'll find you 10 different angles and 10 different ways to look at fucking anything in the world yeah. and I'll, you know, we'll explore something, we'll create something, we'll put it together. Yeah. But I can't tell you if this one's better than that one. Oh, yeah. Like it's like when I do set list, I'm like, I'm gonna tell you like a, a thousand jokes. Yeah. You guys choose which ones of them are good because I my brain won't make those decisions. Yeah. It'll just tell you the jokes. Yeah. So it's interesting. So okay, so you um, uh, talk to me about your life. We've talked about comedy. I, I like I like that we talked about that. Yeah. That was fun. But what's what's life like for you? Who are you as a human being? Like what does what does your life look like when you're not being a comedian? I've been thinking a lot about that because I just turned 40 uh, like a couple of months ago in May. And I'm like, what is like, and I'm just looking at my life and where I've, you know, just got contemplative right. 
And um, it's what's well, the age for it? Like, yeah. I, I mean, really, it's the age where and a friend of ours said this to us probably when we were in our early 30s, mid 30s. They yeah. said, You're coming to an age, like coming up to 40, early 40s, where men uh, really take a, in particular, take a real stock take of their life and see where they're at. So yeah. it can be a really complicated time for people. Yeah, it's it's yeah, and it's like to reflect right now. I mean, it it feels nice. It does yeah. like I'm taking inventory, but I'm I feel like I know who I am, and I'm like accepted it more than I would have like in my twenties, and was trying to like trying to be something. I'm like I'm this guy or I'm this person, and I'm like oh I'm a um, vulnerable, hard on my sleeve guy that will like I'll go to the museum and I'll cry sometimes, <laughs> you know, and like, <laughs> and I'm sweet and, right. you know, sometimes I get upset about things. I'm just like, you know, I'm, there's a point you get to where you go, okay, this is probably just what I'm like. Yeah. Like for, at least for some things, like there's of course plenty of things in your life that will change and can change and you have the capacity to change. Yeah. And then there's some that you're just like, like the crying thing's a good example. You're yeah. just like, cause I'm a bit of a, I had somebody sitting in that very chair you're sitting in doing a podcast the other day, my other podcast, Philosophy, a comedian called Bridget Fettersey. Do you know Bridget? Have you ever worked with her? She she does some really fantastic writing on the internet and she's doing like, you know, more kind of establishing herself in the stand-up world, but she's like kind of a bit more known for her writing. Yeah. And she was talking about how sceptical she is about men who cry. And I was just like, I just, I'm, I, I cry. I'm a crier. Yeah. Like I often, because I don't get, my emotions, I, look, I could probably be a bit better at like pressure cooker style letting a bit of steam out because I would say that mostly I'm probably a bit too overly nice or overly kind of polite about things or overly like, you know, things are bad, but I should just like, you know, everything's fine, everything's yeah, yeah. good. But then when it, if it ever comes out, then I can have a like a, you know, a proper sort of like sobbing full body. Fucking, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, yeah, right. So it's just a zero to a hundred situation, is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, I've kind of at the point in my life where I'm like, okay, well, that's, I guess that's actually part of just how I, like, maybe there's a way that I could deal with that better in my life so that that doesn't happen. But in the same time, I'm kind of like, oh no, I think mostly that's just fine. I've just got to have that idea that occasionally yeah. it, I'm just going to have one of those days where it all just fucking falls apart. Yeah. And it's like, it feels nice to accept that finally or right. get closer to accept it. Like I was at the, I was in San Francisco a couple of weeks ago and I went to the MoMA, the modern art museum there. And uh, there's this piece on the fifth floor and it's just a black disc on a wall. And you know, sometimes with modern art, you're like, oh, it's this pretentious bullshit or whatever. Or people are like staring at a Rothko a little too hard. And you're like, come on, man, whatever. <laughs> you're not in college. College is 20 years ago. Grow up. <laughs> you know, uh, but I was staring at this thing and I just started weeping. Like I was right. just moved inside a museum, grown man, like grandparents, grandkids around. And I was like just moved by this piece. And it was called Vortex. And it I thought it helped me understand what death was. I was like, I was just like, it's just, it's gone forever. And you're just staring down this hole. And I was like trying to put my sunglasses on and try to like walk around and like not be seen by people. And there's just a seat there. And I was like, I'm just going to sit here and right. cry. You know, it's like, okay. I, I feel like if I'm sitting here and I got the piece, right. I am clearly understood this piece and why have to hide that you know it's weird to be the grown man crying at the museum you know but like i 
I don't know. It's like what? That's why they make. That's why we do art. Like to, to right. feel these connections and get bigger understanding of the world and what it means to be a human and what life means and the human condition and all this stuff. And I felt it, and it's like why. Well, I mean, that, well, you know? you're somebody in your work who literally, like, the, I mean, being a stand-up comedian, you're li- literally looking for an immediate involuntary reaction from people for what you're putting out to them. Yeah. So the idea that you had an immediate involuntary reaction to a work of art is yeah. like, I mean, it's not unusual that you should feel like that. I mean, I sometimes, like, I mean, that's a more grandiose scale of like, now I'm going to tell you the, McDo- the McDonald's, like, drive through version of your story, yeah, yeah. which is the other night I needed to... Uh, this was, uh, I mean, not maybe the other night, but this was like in the last sort of two months this happened. Um, I was in a position where like I'd been going through a real hard time with my health, but also just some bad things that happened to me in life that hadn't weren't my fault. And they all, I'd had to kind of keep myself together yeah. to get through it all. Yeah. But clearly there was a lot of emotion inside me that also needed to like get out. Yeah. But because I'd had to kind of keep my shit together to get through these bad things, it hadn't had an opportunity to come out, yeah. but I could tell that I needed to. And so I spent the night on the internet intentionally like looking at things that I knew would make me cry so that I could just kind of like deal with like Get getting the out. crying out. Oh yeah. And so these were the, this is, these were the ones that like totally got me and it's such a, a weird combination, but there's a TV show called Doctor Who. Do you know what Doctor yeah. Who is? Right. So Time Lord traveling through time. There's an episode of that that they made um, uh, where it, they essentially they met Van Gogh and uh, the whole story is about him but in the end they fly him to uh, the, you know, the museum in Britain and see everybody like seeing his art and he gets to experience what it was like because you know he was unknown and kind of in his real life so you got to see this like you know oh, wow. moment where he got to see you know people enjoying and you know whatever and it's and it's so emotional and it, I, I, rem- I remembered that it made me cry at the time yeah. and I just found that like last five minutes and watched that did the job. Got Easy, it all right? out. Yeah. Well, no, I didn't get it all out there. Because <laughs> I'd already had a cry at that. I needed like something that was new. Yeah. Like, you know? And I stumbled onto this like... So here's the thing. This is the, this is where I'm getting to the bit where it's getting very confessional and a bit deep and dark and dirty. Because yeah. this is what got me. This yeah. is what got out what I needed to get out. I need to state for the record that... I am uncomfortable with military propaganda. Uh, One of the things in this country that I find so confronting is the fact that everywhere here the glorification of the military is so intrinsic because they need young people to believe that being involved in the military is something you know sort of heroic and patriotic and these sort of things. And it's a subtle brainwashing that happens at every level of this society. And what I'm about to talk about is also part of that propaganda machine, but for whatever reason, it's my... Yeah, it just it hits my button, okay. which is returning military fathers and mothers oh. surprising their kids at school for coming home oh early. Oh my gosh! Yeah. And there is an endless hole of videos of that on the internet. Yeah, and oh That'll man, every time, yeah, just every time. Dad's been away for six months, comes back early, surprises the kid in an assembly every fucking Golden time. Golden retriever jumps oh, up, just. <laughs> Like balling. Oh, yeah. But my favorite one, and this is my, like, because I found this once I went on my deep dive was, there's one, and I guess it's probably just because he's at assembly and it's overwhelming and he wasn't expecting it or whatever, but, and the dad's kind of disguised a bit at the start so they can do the surprise. The kid doesn't 
quite understand that it's his dad. Like, <laughs> because it's been too long? It's or been too long like, oh and he's God. young. And like, you know, and it's a surprise. To, I think just the combination of all the various factors, you know, there's hundreds of kids there. It's a young kid. Dad's been disguised. He wasn't expecting it. Dad's been away, whatever. Yeah. But clearly... And it's like one of those things where this big moment that they're filming that everyone's meant to enjoy, the kid doesn't quite know what's going on. And then you kind of see kind of people coming in having to explain to the kid, like, this is like a big deal. (laughs) Does he react after that? Uh, Yeah, after that. (laughs) He's like, oh! (laughs) That's so funny. That's like an episode of The Office or something like that. It's like that, like... Oh my gosh, that's so funny. So do you cry and laugh at that one? Yeah, I no that I think I was that was uh, that that might have brought some joy back into my life. Oh, okay, I feel good, like yeah. that was the journey that I went on because yeah. that one was like I, I had to go on a pretty deep dive to find that one. That yeah. wasn't that wasn't first choice that came up. Yeah, the awkward one. Yeah. <laughs> Dad, I find myself crying for joy more than uh, yeah. sadness. I oh, feel like when good. I was in college and stuff i felt like i was pretty sad like i didn't have a great experience at a girlfriend far away and i would yeah. like lean into music and like just pet sounds and like elliot smith this like really kind of sad music okay. and it was like like you watching videos like yeah. almost like putting a yeah. place to store all your sadness yes. and now i feel like i feel like i cry more when nice things happen That's and just good. like gratitude and stuff like that and like i think i'm becoming softer in that regard and i don't mind it that's you know? good. No, I think, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's that's really good. Yeah, I come from a culture where it's, like, very macho and my yeah, dad's right. very tough and all this stuff, just, like, you know, hard-knuckle guy. And, you know, the guy that's such a tough life, never saw him cry, you know. Right. Uh, and I'm the one that cries, you know. I'm the one. Yeah, the one who had the privileged upbringing yeah. in America. And so, but now it's, the like. One who, the one who tells strangers jokes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You're the one. The one that doesn't have to go to a real job right. in an office and stuff. Well, how, how do I do it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I don't know. I, so, tell me. So, I, I want to know just a little bit more about, you know, your life. So, apart yeah. from, you know. Yeah. That what what else is kind of you know what do you what now are your passions like what is it that like I mean apart from stand up obviously yeah. I mean like what is it that you know in your life kind of defines you a bit now? Um, you know I think I'm a I've become a good son, and uh, you know my dad passed away in February and like he had Alzheimer's disease and it was like a ten ten year struggle. And like my parents and I have always been kind of different. I was a black sheep. My right. sister was like very traditional, very religious. And I was like the weird kid that went to Berkeley and was just different. You know, I was a different guy, but in this, um, I think the 10 years of my dad dying, I knew how sad it would be when he finally died and I knew it would be a relief, but I didn't know how beautiful it would be to see someone die. Like in a way that they fought so hard. Yeah. And so I had these things with my father where I was like, I felt like maybe would go unreconciled. Like maybe he thought, cause he only saw me as an open micer and then he right. got sick, you know? So he just thought I was some kid that just gave up yeah. a good education to tell jokes in the laundromat and like a fuck up, you know? But I think through, and he, you know, he lost his uh, mind and he, you know, he didn't know who we were at a certain point and all this stuff. But I think in being there with him and moving home and helping and, coming together with my mom and my sister who are so different. My sister and I could not be more, she's like, you know, uh, uh, very conservative and religious and all this stuff. And I'm like the exact opposite, 
but for us to kind of come together and rally around um, my dad and see him um, fight to the very end, like, and stay, and my mom to still love him through all this, because people, you know, go in a nursing home and their families just abandon them, yeah. and to be, like, because to they're, commit to this. Because they're horrible places to have to visit in a general sense. Like, I mean, I can understand. My uh, dad's mother had a... Um, had a stroke yeah. and but then held on for a really like for years you know and you know it was hard to it's hard to go and visit people so the the ones who do the ones who you know really keep that up through all that particularly when somebody's forgetting yeah yeah their memories because your memories are in a lot of ways what makes you who you are yeah. right you know it must be it's a hard a it, hard road it was hard to witness and last couple of years you know couldn't even talk you right. know couldn't recognize us i think you'd recognize my mom sometimes and stuff right. like that because they were really close together um but i always had feared that i was the type of person that couldn't finish something that i started like even in you know i or i'd start something like i have a, pa- a you know, a term paper due in college, I start the night before or something, right. or I would start a project. So like, I'm gonna learn how to play the banjo, buy a banjo. Don't know Again, how to, I don't feel know how like it's that Steve Martin stuff. That's <laughs> yeah, so keeps on coming. Yeah. Um, or, you know, you know, I could, can't find, finish a book, buy five more books. Don't read those books like that type of uh-huh. person. And I feel like this in a weird way. Um, I'll it, on a personal level made me realize that we can't, I, gave me the strength to be able to finish something to be like, we're going to see this guy go all the way through. We're going to be there. We're going to help him, And I'm going to be cool with my mom and my sister and we're going to get along. And it felt like it was like by the end, everything was reconciled and it felt like I um, came out of it um, witnessing something that was very special and to be like, okay, I'm getting a little sentimental now, but like uh, I think I learned that I like, I don't know, uh, to a lot from watching my dad fight because even at the end he got so skinny, uh, cause you know, you forget how to eat, right. you like your brain turns off. Right. You and forget so, that you have to eat. Yeah. You forget that you have to eat. And then he got so skinny that I could put my hand around his femur, you know, just like, like a skeleton, yeah. you right. know? And they would try to put like, um, they try to give them like, um, what's it called? Uh, what's the stuff? What's the stuff that inject you? Morphine. Like they okay. try to put yeah, like yeah. morphine in his mouth, yeah. like just wipe it around his tongue and he would just bite the pen and just like, like get that out of here. Like just to fight so hard, like yeah. till his last breath was like fucking badass, yeah. you know? And I've always thought about death and my parents dying and even as a kid, just scared of death and not knowing it. But like, it's death is almost kind of defined by how hard you live, how hard you fight when you live, you know? And I'm like coming out of that with that right now where I'm like, Oh, I just saw this thing. It was the worst thing that ever happened to me my whole life is watching this old guy, you know, my dad, who was such a big part of my act even and my whole life and stuff to see him pass. But I feel like he's like that. Um, it, it was a beautiful thing that I'm coming out of with, um, a lot of good perspective in life. You well, know? it sounds like from the life that he had to, that, you know, often, that's interesting. I, I've, I've been reading a book um, 
about a, an Australian uh, personality, you know, like a, a just a, a guy who's well known in Australia, and his parents were Irish, uh, sorry, Scottish, Scottish immigrants, I think, Scottish immigrants, Irish immigrants. Anyway, they were they were immigrants. They came out, you know, literally the story of like coming to somewhere for a better life, you know, moved yeah. to the worst suburb, you know, in the entire town, struggled all their life. But the kind of message that came through was like this idea of like, you know, in the hope that, you know, and obviously it's told in the context of this, of their son became this very successful person. Yeah. But that idea of going that your life can be defined by the fight, like that a lot of it was a fight. Yeah. But the idea that you kept fighting in was, that's how you defined it, right? Yeah. I didn't necessarily get to do everything I wanted to do with my life. I didn't necessarily have some job or career or something that was, yeah. you know, my dream or like, you know, you didn't get to have the luxury of what you do, which is pursue the thing that you wanted to actually do yeah. as your lifestyle, yeah. you know, as your job. But I, but got to fight, like got to fight the whole time, you know, which is in itself pretty, you know, defining, I think. Yeah, like my dad would say, uh, he'd have this thing called all through the way. You go like, you got to do it all through the way, like all the way, you know, but you say all through the way. And I, my sister and I were just like imitating my dad. We'll do that back and forth. And all through the way came up. And I was like, that is how he did it. Like right. he, he was like, all right, I'm going to put him in this fo- on this lazy Susan. I'm going to make it myself. I'm going to get him through <laughs> right. this. He's going to play soccer in the park with a cholos that just right. got out of prison. Right. <laughs> and he's going to blah, blah, blah. He's going to fucking do this. And he did that with his own fight at the end. And, and I thought, you know, my dad wanted be, me to be an engineer or a computer science guy. And I'm realizing it doesn't matter what I do as long as I do it all the way through. You know? And I think that's the lesson. It's not that I'm like... I was this fuck up that was not the math genius science guy that my dad wanted. It's that I, yeah, do it all through the way, you know? And I think... Well, I think if we've learned two things out of this podcast, yeah. it is A, do it all through the way, and <laughs> B, if you have a kid with any learning difficulties, <laughs> what you need is a lazy Susan in your garage. Uh, it's been a real pleasure to have you on, mate. This was great. This was fantastic. Thank you. You yeah. know, I wasn't expecting it to go in the, you know. I did so. say. I said to you beforehand, it can be funny, <laughs> yeah. funny and serious. I well. like that. That's good. Um, uh, so tell people where that if they, I mean, obviously there's a lot of Australians who listen to this podcast. Yeah. It's got a, a worldwide following, but it's, yeah. it's a lot of Australians. And so uh, there's probably a whole bunch of people who aren't familiar oh, cool. with you before the podcast, but hopefully they want to get familiar with you now. So what is the best way for them to do that? Where do they find your stuff? Like what, what, do, what do you want to point them towards if they want to check out more stuff? Where, you know, or, you know, the usual sort of, this is plugs is what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, my album, I put it out last year. Um, it's called Crying and Laughing at the Same Time. <laughs> is uh, You can find it on like Spotify or iTunes or Amazon. Uh, I'm proud of it and talk about some of the subjects that we talked about here. And then um, proud of this episode of This American Life that I'm on. Um, if they're familiar with that. And, and I think that know. sentence nearly like it was like, I'm pl- proud of this episode uh, of this <laughs> podcast. So if you <laughs> yeah, wanna, yeah, yeah. Do you want to go back, start at the beginning? And <laughs> yeah, just you have can a just listen, listen to this again. again and uh, <laughs> Go, uh, th- you got through the sad part. Now go to the beginning funny part again. And then, uh, yeah. yeah, that's, uh, yeah. Uh, so this American life, tell me, so we, what did you do on this American life? So I came home to visit my dad and visit my family. And, um, I, w- I was on a drive with my dad and I knew that he had early, um, Alzheimer's, but I didn't know to what extent. And, um, we were just driving and he was acting very bizarrely. So I just 
started recording it on my phone and I happened to record the first time he forgot who I was. And oh, like this wow. on this drive that I've done with my dad thousands of times. Right. And so it was like a record me narrating that drive. And it's like, it's very sweet. It's like a, yeah, actually a right. very, I say it because it's like, it's like a thing that I'm proud of. Like if there's yeah. one thing that ever goes in the archives, it would be this special moment where it was like, it defines a lot of stuff in my life and I'm proud of it. It's so really cool, that man. and my album. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Well, yeah. thank you. Thank you again. Hey, uh, come and check us out at the Sydney Opera House, guys. We're doing a live TOEFOP uh, there as part of the Jess for Last Festival. Uh, two shows. One of them sold out, but uh, there are some tickets available to the second show. And uh, you can check out all our podcasts, Philosophy, TOEFOP, FOFOP, Two Guys, One Cup, uh, all at TOEFOP.com uh, and support us on Patreon. Uh, thank you very much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon.